Welcome to Old Boys Club, a podcast where two young women explain the ins and outs of Australian politics. And there's no such thing as a stupid question. My name is Justine Landis-Hanley. I am a reporter and I used to work in politics. My name is Matilda Bosley. I'm a reporter and I used to be a really shitty nanny. <laughs> I thought we were just listing our old jobs. <laughs> I, re- I really, I was bad nanny. Oh, okay. I forgot to pick a kid up from school once. <laughs> God. Twice, actually. Okay, okay. Stop talking before, before we get arrested. His parents knew. He, he was fine. He went home with a friend. Okay. Um, uh, coming up on the show this week, we break down the thing that everyone is talking about, the federal budget. Oh, federal budget. Is it good? Kind of bad? Kind of? Uh, it's a bit all over the place. They've broken it down. Let's go on. Okay. Next topic. Um, The budget was dropped last Tuesday night. Why are we going into $1 trillion worth of debt and is it a bad thing? And what does everyone mean when they say that this is an election budget? Yeah. Where's the election? Justine. I'd love to know. Yeah, we Everyone would really love, love to, to know. know. We were going to know, but then some scandals happened. Yeah, so, and they yeah, didn't call it. They really didn't do it. But first, Matilda, how was your week? Oh, my week was good. Actually, my week was very good. My weekend. Guess where I went? Well, I know where you went on Sunday, but where'd you go on Saturday? I went to Ikea. Ooh, and how was Ikea? It was actually really good. Anthony, our producer, also my um, life partner, and I went and we didn't argue once and we were having such a nice time going through Ikea and it was great because we were having such a good time and we were like having little dances and then we'd look across to all the other fucking miserable couples and we felt superior. It was great. Did you make any good purchases? Oh, my God. I made so many good purchases. What was your best purchase? My best purchase by far. What did we go in for? A cupboard. What did we leave with? (laughs) The jungle skog. It's the the jungle skog. I'm so sorry if we have any Scandinavian listeners. The the jungle skog is a giant stuffed bear soft toy. Is it like jungle, jungle, like jungle skunk? Jungle skunk? I I call him jungle jungle skank, but I probably shouldn't. Um, because of you know, like feminism and stuff. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's I think it means forest, jungle forest. Uh, he's a giant bear. He's so cute. He was like a meme back in lockdowns. I'm very late to the trend, but I still love him. <gasps> and we were, I was like, oh, we need to buy this. The one, the and one, I, wait, the one with the big tummy. Yeah, the one with the big tummy. And the little arms. Yeah, with the little arms. And <laughs> I was like, Anthony, we need to buy this. And he's like, Matilda, we're not spending thirty five dollars on a stuffed bear. And I was like, mm, I think we are. And it was the best possible purchase I could have made. I like said it up we've been doing little photo shoots and he's so big so anthony like leaves to go to work at 1 a.m and then i am like sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night and i'm like oh no one's here and now i have the jungle skog because he's like human (laughs) size and i just like cuddle with the human sized wow yeah (laughs) like a small human like it is he's like as wide as a human he's as girthy as a human Okay. I love him. I'm glad you've got your girthy human to hold in the night Aww. when your partner is away. How was your week? I My week was great. I've seen you like five times this yeah, week. Yeah, we, uh, we've seen a lot of each other. <laughs> this is my third <laughs> night in a row at this house. Well, a highlight of my week was that I saw the musical Fangirls. Wow. And you also happened to be at the musical <laughs> Fangirls sitting three rows behind me, totally unplanned. We didn't. Yeah. Well, I went and saw it on Friday night. And you were like, just saying, you've got to go see this musical. So I booked tickets for the last night. 
and I went along. And there you were again. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I messaged you for earlier in the day and you're like, oh, no, no, I'm busy. I'm going seeing fangirls. I'm like, that's so funny because guess where I'm going? Because yeah. I was going with my mom. Yes. Um, it was amazing. It was so good. If people haven't seen Fangirls or you haven't heard of it, it's basically a musical. It started out in Sydney. It's still pretty new. It's on its first like national run. Well, it's now finished. We're recommending a musical that you can't go see. But they just released the original soundtrack on Spotify. Yeah. So you can you can listen to it there. Um it's about a like fourteen year old girl who is obsessed with a pop star called Harry. Yeah, thinly veiled one direction storyline. Yes. And she is basically so obsessed with him and she thinks that he is trapped in this band and she wants to go free him and that's as much as I'll say. So given that no one can actually see this musical, what can people do to get their fix? Well, aside from listening to the album on Spotify, another podcast called Culture Club. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod pod. We really love their show. They did a really cool interview with Eve Blake, who is the writer and creator of Fangirls the Musical, and that came out this week, and it's a really great interview. So if you're interested in hearing more about the show or you really loved the show and maybe you want to uh, fangirl over it a bit yourself, I highly recommend going and giving Culture Club's episode a listen. So, Matilda, normally on the show, we tend to cover about two or three shorter stories before deep diving into a big topic. But this week is different because this week is... Budget week. And therefore, we're going to be covering all (laughs) all things the budget. Yeah, nothing else exists. That's actually a fun fact that not a lot of people know. Um, (laughs) The week of the budget, not everything else disappears. Yeah. Let's get into it. Oh, my God. Why don't we... (laughs) So, on Tuesday night this week, Matilda came over to my house. Yep. Came over wearing pyjamas already. I think a lot of people, if they watched our Instagram stories, might have got the impression that it was my house because I was in full pyjamas. Or that we were having a sleepover. No, I just drove over here in pyjamas <laughs> and then drove back in pyjamas. <laughs> and we watched the federal budget speech. Oh, how fun. Which is when Josh Frydenberg, our treasurer. One of the two bald guys. <laughs> gets up in front of the House of Representatives and gives his talking points, the the creme of the crop, the selling slogans of this year's federal budget. Yeah, he's like, he, and you know, he's, he's like a little moment to shine. You're yeah, like, it's oh, a big moment, it's a big moment. Oh, no one really cares about the treasurer a lot of the time, but oh, now this week do. they do. And the budget happens. So Matilda, so. on budget night, the treasurer starts by talking about how the economy is doing. And the reason for this is because what is planned in the budget is very dependent on how things are going in the economy. So last year, the pandemic hit, the economy went to shit, and the government had to spend, spend, spend lots of money to try and inject it into the economy and keep all of us afloat and create jobs and keep people in work. Yeah, that's how you get out of um, having no money is spending a lot of money. It doesn't sound like it makes sense, (laughs) but that's uh, how the economy works, I think. Yes, So it's really important to talk about, firstly, before we start explaining what money we're spending on what this year, to understand why we're spending that money, we need to know how the economy is doing. Matilda, how's the economy doing? Okay, so one of the main things that governments use to kind of like paint a picture of how the economy is going is the unemployment rate, which Mm -hmm. is the rate of people who aren't working who want to be working. So it's not like retired people or children or, you know. (laughs) Six-year-olds running around with like a little spade being like, I want to work. See, I was going to say it also doesn't include like billionaire sort of socialites. Like the gossip girl people would not count in the unemployment rate. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so what is the unemployment rate at oh, the moment? Oh, it's uh, 5.6%. And is that 
good. Well, yeah, <laughs> compared to what we thought it was going to be. Right. It's not great, but like compared to where we thought it was going to be, um, yeah, really insanely good. But hold on. So Frydenberg last year said when we are below 6% unemployment, we're going to start winding back, you know, the, the, spending. the big spending. But this budget's spending a lot. Yeah. Um, it's because uh, he was like, whoopsies, I was wrong. Um, we need it to be below 5%. And a reason why he wants it to be below 5% is because we just don't know how this pandemic is going to keep going. Yeah, we have no idea how this pandemic is going to shape out. Like Australia could have an outbreak at any second. And essentially, the moment that you start being like, let's get the economy into shape, let's get the debt down, that means it's going to be harder for people. Because to do that, you cut out government services. You know, there's less tax breaks. People have less money in their pocket. Like it's actually, it has an impact on people to get the debt down, which we're going to have to do eventually. But what the government said is like, now is not the moment to start doing that sort of painful process. Now is the time to be pumping more money into the economy to make sure that if shit hits the fan again in a really bad way, People aren't, we're not going to be scrambling. Yeah. Um, I think it just while we're on unemployment, it's also just worth noting really quickly that the unemployment rate, it's what the government at the moment is using a lot because it makes them sound really good. It's not actually the most useful measure of like how employment is going because there's a lot of people who like work one hour a week and desperately want to work more and don't have enough money to live on and are in really hard dire straits. Uh, but they're working one hour in a week. So yeah. they don't count as unemployed. So there's yeah. a much more useful tool which is the underemployment rate um but we're not talking about that because it seems less good for the government yeah and there's less public information about that yeah it's it's much harder to tell so something before we move on that we should talk about is the amount of debt we're in and the amount of deficit we're in and what the difference is between the two of them yes um i also got confused you and i both got confused about this but i didn't know there was a difference between both those figures but now i do yeah i mean like once i sat down and thought about it for like more than 10 seconds i was like no no that makes sense that there is the difference but people purposely don't point out the difference between those two figures because one figure makes the government look quite good and the other figure makes them look really bad okay so the deficit think of it as like the number for this year So this specific budget, the government will get in a certain amount of money in taxes and they will put out a certain amount of money in services and spending. And you can either be in deficit or surplus. So surplus is when you uh, get more money than you spend, like you end up with like money in your coffers. And deficit is when you uh, spend more money than you get and then you therefore end up like having debt or adding to the amount of debt you already have. So this year, the budget's going to end up being $161 billion in deficit. Oh, no. Well, you say, oh, no, it's actually good. We This time last year, we're like, oh, next year's deficit's going to be $198 billion. So we're like, oh, congrats, only $160 billion in deficit. So ah, once again, like it's better than we thought, but it's still not good. Um, This is the number that the government's been speaking about a lot because it's the number that kind of makes them look good. It's the smaller number. Tell me about the bigger number. Explain to me debt, Justine. We're in so much debt. Oh, my God. Okay, so the debt is the amount of money that we have borrowed in total over time. It's the account balance of the government. Yeah. So this year we are in like 150 plus deficit. Yeah, so we're adding $161 billion to the debt this year. What's the debt in total, maybe? Well, in in 2024 to 2025, we're going to be in a trillion dollars of debt. 
Oh no. That's with a T and an R. A trillion. Yeah. <laughs> and then in 2030, we're predicted to be in $1.5 trillion in debt. Okay. So just to be clear, like in order to reduce the amount of national debt you have, you have to produce surplus budgets. So you have to, like, that's how you pay off the debt. You get more money than you spend. We haven't delivered a surplus budget in like a fucking hot second. Like it's been a few years, mate. Yes. And that was been like even in good times. Yes. And ah, we're going to not just need like a surplus budget to get us out of this. We're going to need surplus budget after surplus budget after surplus budget. And uh, to get a surplus budget, you go into this thing called austerity. It essentially means like the government's going to do less for you. Essentially, the government's spending less, the government's scrimping and saving. There is less support services at the bottom line for people. And we're going to need to be doing that a lot to get this down. Yeah, you thought that your afterpay or your mortgage repayments were really bad. No, no, we've got to pay back a trillion dollars. <laughs> and it's important to actually bring up things like mortgages and afterpay here because a lot of people might hear that we're in a ton of debt and be wondering, well, this must be a bad thing. It's actually not that bad a thing right now. And that's because interest rates are really low. So we've borrowed a bunch of money in the form of government bonds. We've we've gotten investors to pay us money as the government, but we don't have to pay high interest on these loans at the moment. And so it's kind of a safe way for the government to inject a lot of money back into the economy. And it's actually the advised thing to do, especially now in the pandemic. It's really going to get us in a bit of a bind if later down the track, these interest rates really skyrocket and suddenly we're paying back not only the debt, but a shit ton of interest on $1 trillion. Yeah. At the moment, we've got like hex debt fees and we're soon going to have, if if interest rates go up, it's going to be like credit card debt fees. So, and that's obviously going to build a lot more. And we should sort of say the reason that interest rates are down is because the economy is doing shit, right? Yeah. The economy is doing shit. Interest rates are down because they want people to be borrowing money. They want people to be spending money. This is like in general, governments, people, companies, everyone. So that's why interest rates are so low because the banks are like keen to like get the money out the door. When the economy starts doing well again, that's when interest rates rise and that's when debt suddenly becomes very expensive. Yeah. But thankfully, they expect that interest rates aren't going to rise for a few years. So they're going to rise eventually. We got, but we got a few years. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to the good Lord that we are going to tell you what we're spending money on. <laughs> we're going to get there. But first, we're going to just quickly take you through something called assumptions. We're going to do a little bit of prep work, our mise en place for this episode. We've already given you a very quick crash course on global economics. <laughs> now it's time for um, what guesses the government is making when they're writing this budget. Yeah, so the government is making three really big assumptions that basically underpin the success of this entire budget. Number one, international borders are going to stay closed until next year. So we're not going to have like tourism and international trade. Till mid next year, which, by the way, is like later than the government was previously saying. That came as a bit of a shock. Number two, everyone's going to be vaccinated by the end of the year, which is funny because we don't even have a vaccination plan or target. Now, Scott Morrison, uh, will everyone be vaccinated by the end of the year? Couldn't possibly say. No way for me to tell that. Would never commit to that. Josh Frydenberg... Is your rosy economic picture based on the idea that everyone will be vaccinated by the end of the year? 
oh yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck um, yeah. That's how Josh Frydenberg speaks, right? <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> and number three, the third assumption is that there aren't going to be any more COVID-19 outbreaks. Or if there are, we're going to keep them contained. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's an assumption that there'll be small ones, but there won't be like a third wave. You know what would be a great way actually to prevent there from being another massive COVID outbreak? What? Investing in <laughs> open air alternative quarantine facilities. Do you know what there was no money in the budget for? What? Investing in alternative open air quarantine facilities. Oh dear. It's well, still a state responsibility well let's get into what there was money for in the budget oh, yeah why don't we look at that segue so justine what are we spending money on okay so just as an overview we are doing a lot of spending in this year's budget people have called this budget a buffet budget shout out to amy ramikas at the guardian yes very very helpful informative video if you're wanting if you're wanting some extra little budget spice she's the one who came up with that term and it's a really good one because the budget is investing money in a lot of different areas like women's interests infrastructure job creation mental health and suicide prevention, aged care. And the reason they're doing this is one, yes, to stimulate the economy, but two, the government kind of has to redeem itself in certain areas like cough, women's interests cough. And I think before we get started, we discussed how we wanted to address this budget and Mm. we don't really just want to be a dot point list of everything that the government spent money on because – there's actually a lot of dot point lists out there. Like if you're wanting a really quick rundown of the budget, that's easy to find. Yeah. So we decided to more just focus on some specific areas, some things that we think that you guys will find interesting and actually properly tease it out and make it make sense to a certain degree. So to start off with, we're going to talk about aged care. This might be one of our shorter topics, but I think it's the centerpiece of the budget. I think we should probably dive in. How much money are they giving and why? Yeah, if there was one headline from the budget, it was this. They're giving $17.7 billion over five years to aged care. And why would they be doing that, Justine? Well, maybe because of the Aged Care Royal Commission, which found a lot of problems with the sector that the government copped a lot of flack for. Yeah. And a Royal Commission, we've talked about in a previous episode, it's when it's like the highest legal hearing that can happen in the country. It's basically like independent judges investigate the shit out of government practices and kind of expose all the ills. Exactly. And guess what? There was a lot of ills in the aged care sector to expose. Okay. And so what's the government doing about them? So the Aged Care Royal Commission put out this report. They made a bunch of recommendations. The government said... We're going to follow pretty much all of these. We accept them and we'll like take them on board. And then the budget was sort of like the first time we got to see like whether they were going to follow through on that. Put their money where their mouths are. And like kind of, but there's some things they definitely didn't follow through on. So what what did they follow through on? Yes. Okay. Um, So one of the recommendations from the Royal Commission was to increase this thing called the basic daily fee by $10 a day. What's that? that? Yeah. So basically it's um, the amount, the minimum amount of money a aged care facility has to spend on each resident each day. Uh And so like from the Royal, not even from the Royal Commission, even from the reporting, but before the Royal Commission that precipitated it, um, there was, you know, pictures of kind of like very bare, plates of food and yeah like horrible stuff and like you know not nutritious not enough food like people yeah old people being sad is my kryptonite yeah it it was really it was really really shocking stuff and so that goes some way to addressing that like some people are saying like realistically what's ten dollars per resident per day going to do but like that that is called for by the royal commission we'll have to give them a tick there Mm -hmm. one thing that like is sort of like half 
succeeding is um, the Royal Commission called for there to be at least 200 minutes of like care by staff members for every resident every day and 40 of those have to be by a nurse. Okay. Which, these all sound much more minimal than I thought they were going to. Um, that is happening, but it's happening by 2023, not 2022. So it's taking double the length of time than the Royal Commission wanted. Uh-huh. So that's like a half-half. And one where they basically sort of haven't followed through is that the Royal Commission was asking for every sort of single worker to have up to a – it's called like a certificate three level of like training qualifications. Right, and so that's people not- who – People who work in aged care. Yeah. So there's nurses who work in aged care and aged care workers. Yeah. And they're sort of obviously different levels and also different levels of pay. And part of the problem, I think, overall with the aged care system is that nurses who work in aged care don't get paid nearly as much as nurses who work in hospitals. It's Mm. like a 10, 15% difference. Mm. And so there's not a huge amount of incentive for nurses to come over into the aged care sector. And this budget doesn't really go to fixing that that much. Like there's training for extra like aged care workers, you know, there's subsidies and funding and it's and it's sort of this thing of like, okay, yes, there's like a skills shortage, but mm. is it a skills shortage because not enough people have access to the training or yeah. is it a skills shortage because there's not enough incentive to actually work in that role anyway? Yeah. And like cheaper training doesn't solve being underpaid at the end of the day. And yeah, I think that's in, been for, what, for many years of your career. Yeah, for your entire career. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of saying that that's not kind of addressing that core problem. I could talk about this for two hours. There's so many different iterations of it. But if you're going to take the broad strokes out of aged care, that's what I'd take. <gasps> One of the big things that the government is spending money on is actually something that it's not really spending money, but it's deciding to not get money on. (laughs) Um, We're going to get through it quickly because we both think it's boring. Let's talk about tax breaks, Justine. Tax breaks, yes. So the government is giving tax breaks, meaning that they're giving some money back to certain people in Australia. Yeah. So essentially, if you're a low to middle income earner, so what's that range? It's $48,000 to $90,000. You're going to be essentially paying less in tax or getting more back in your tax return. You're going to be able to get back up to $1,080 this year. And essentially you might be like, "Mm, I don't quite understand like what that has to do with like government spending and stuff. It's essentially the government saying, we believe that this money is going to be more useful for the economy in people's pockets than it is going to be in the government coffers to spend on government spending. And the reason for that is because particularly lower income earners, they are more likely to spend that money that they're going to get back rather than save it. All up, this is going to cost $7.8 billion. So it's probably one of the biggest spending items in the budget is these tax breaks. Matilda, I'm bored. Let's talk about something more interesting. Could we please talk about women? I love women. I love women. We are women. We are Yep, and we're going to be talking about things called women's issues. That's what the government refers to them as. That's what the media refers to them as. Is it the best overall label? Probably not. Not. Let's jump in. Okay. <laughs> um. So one of the big things the government is spending money on is childcare. Wow. Caring for children? That sounds expensive. Yes. So one of the biggest things that has held women back during the pandemic in particular was the amount of time that they had to invest into looking after children. And there have been calls for years for the government to invest more money into making childcare cheaper for families so that people don't have to choose between going to work and staying at home to look after the kids. It's one of those cases where it's like Australia's childcare system, the government does a lot more for Australian families in terms of childcare than a lot of other countries, but also like it's still not enough. Yes. And just to be clear, 
many people make a conscious choice to stay at home and look after their kids and that is wonderful but this is just helping families who would prefer to go back into the workforce to have that choice yeah so the government is investing 1.7 billion over the next few years into childcare. What does that mean in practice? Oh, it actually means something very specific. <laughs> so if you have two or more children all in childcare at the same time, uh, the second or subsequent child, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hopefully you don't have more than eight kids under that's the a, age of five. That's a lot of that's, children. That's a big responsibility. Um, <laughs> Is that or, physically possible? Uh, Optimum. Oh, that's so true. Optimum would adore this policy. Yes, yes. Uh, Okay, if you have your second and subsequent children, essentially the government can pay for up to 95% of that kid's childcare. And essentially, like, the amount of money that the government gives someone in childcare is, like, based on your income. So, like, the harder you have it, the more they're helping. Yes, and when this policy was first announced, people were really excited because people have really wanted greater subsidisation of childcare particularly for lower income earning families. But this policy isn't actually that great. Aside from, you know, you have to have two or more kids, they both have to be in childcare at the same time. Let's just also like cover how specific that is. So like, yeah, yeah, if you have a kid that's like three and five, like that's going to be like max like one or two years that they're both in childcare at the same time. Like it's not a lot of time. Yes. And it doesn't really deal with this bigger problem with the model of childcare subsidization that we have. So you mentioned before that you get a subsidy on your childcare, depending on how much income you earn. Now, a problem with that is it creates a disincentive for women to return to work because if a woman works five days a week, she's earning more money and therefore gets less money for childcare. But if she's working three or four days a week, she's earning less money, but childcare is more affordable. And it becomes this weird trade-off game. So this this package isn't really fixing that problem. So there are women who have to choose between whether they want to work four days a week or take that extra fifth day. But if they work that extra fifth day, it bumps them up into a higher income threshold and they don't actually make money from that fifth day. Like all the money they make on their fifth day of work goes into the higher childcare fees. Okay. And just to be clear, like we know that women are not the only people that benefit from childcare. There is a lot of men who will benefit from this childcare subsidy as well. But we're talking about this in terms of it being like a women's in quotation issue, because at the moment, that is what is holding women back from the workplace. Traditionally, like just like if we're going to just be pragmatic about it, like childcare is one of the most effective things you can do to help female participation in the workplace. Yeah. And the budget also talks about everything in a very gender binary way. Like it always talks about men and women. But just to be clear, this podcast recognizes that there are people uh, who have all sorts of genders that will benefit from this budget. Speaking about sort of questionably defining things as women's issues and conforming to the gender binary, uh, there's also a cool $350 million in funding for health care for people who are uterus clad. Um, so we're talking about like cervical cancer screenings, breast cancer screenings. There's research to help people who are pregnant and experiencing depression. Uh, what is there? There's some other, there's something else. There, What's the other thing? There was um, 
they, they called eating disorders or women's oh, issues. No. Um, well, I mean, statistically, women are more likely to yeah. suffer from eating disorders, but it still was a little bit like, oh, oh that <laughs> um, feels like a glee plot line. Um, <laughs> um, they also talked about programs to help endometriosis. Oh, yeah. And reducing the preterm birth rates. Oh, and to round off women, there's also a policy change about when uh, companies need to start paying you superannuation, which notionally should help women have more superannuation at the end because guess what? They have a lot less than men. And there was also really important funding for domestic violence support services. Oh, my God, of course. A $1.1 billion investment into women's safety spent over the next four years, which includes money to frontline services, sex education and consent. That. Post milkshake oh, video. More milk. Did someone <laughs> say the milkshake's the sequel? Um, cash grants for women fleeing from domestic violence and research into domestic violence. But I would like to just temper any excitement around this funding finally by saying that $1.1 billion over four years is actually nothing and that the women's family and domestic violence support services sector has been calling for a billion dollars every year. Yeah. So just keep that in mind before anyone gets too excited. Uh, Good but not good enough is going to be like a recurring theme. Speaking of slightly lacklustre funding, do you think it's time to get into what the government's uh, put in the budget for First Nations people? Absolutely, Matilda. Do you think that maybe it is time to have a very special, amazing, wonderful podcast guest, the first ever podcast guest ever? Yes, I was so excited. I was going <laughs> to say it straight away. We have the incredible Sarah Collard with us. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? So my name is Sarah Collard. Uh, I'm the political correspondent for NITV News and I am a Noongar woman from Western Australia, but I currently live in Canberra. Amazing. Sarah, we understand that you were in the budget lockup this week. Can you tell us what was it like? We're very jealous. Yeah, we didn't get to go. (laughs) It was pretty interesting. Um, It was my first time in the budget lockup. So basically when you're in the lockup, they take off your phone, um, turn off your internet, your Wi-Fi, and you've got this treasury official looking over you to make sure you don't do any leaks while you've got the budget papers. So they basically drop a big fat document at 1.30pm in the afternoon and they lock you in a room until 7.30 when the treasurer gets up on his feet. So it was a very kind of weird vibe and it was a bit different this year as it was last year because of covid So our bureaus and the press gallery was all locked in one and they basically locked off the whole wing of the press gallery and there were security and treasury officials running around. You had to wear stickers and it was all very strange and full on, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard it's called like Hack Christmas. I heard it was also called Nerd Prom by some people. I feel feel very high and mighty to anyone who refers to budget as as Christmas Day, but um, (laughs) Um, I'm just very cool, so... (laughs) And very modest. Um, Sarah, you said that you're not a numbers person, but you wrote a fantastic article um, that was published on SBS this week about what measures were in the budget for First Nations peoples. Could you talk our audience through what some of those measures were and tell us whether or not they were positive or negative? Yeah, so um, obviously the the Morrison government delivered their budget on Tuesday and while they were the broader picture was focusing on infrastructure and aged care and the NDIS and jobs creation for Indigenous Australians and First Nations people, there were some items in there. There's suicide prevention was a, a big one, so that actually got a big boost. Uh, the government um, 
put in around $80 million over the next four years to improve programs and initiatives for young people and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are in crisis. Um, another thing that they also unveiled was women's safety initiatives. So obviously there's been a, a huge crisis with the government with a, a lot of criticisms over how the government is handling its women. And for Indigenous women and girls, they got around $60 million and then a further $26 million was going to the Family Violence and Preventional Legal Services Programs and they're one of the peak bodies who deal with a lot of women and children who are in crises. Um, so obviously we know that women in our community are experiencing violence at much higher rates than the general population. So this is something that a lot of women and those on the front lines have really been calling for. We also saw uh, $31 million set aside over five years for a personal safety survey for First Nations women, which we run through the ABS. And that's just to find out how prevalent it is in our communities and to get a kind of baseline data. But there has been some criticisms of that, whether that money would have been better spent on those frontline services, because there is already a lot of data out there which, you know, shows how big of a problem this is. And another issue that has received some criticism is uh, cultural heritage protection laws. So obviously with Druk and Gorge, uh, the destruction of Druk and Gorge, which was the caves in the Pilbara by Rio Tinto, that really spotlighted cultural heritage laws in Western Australia, but also around the country. But the government has only devoted around half a million over the next two years for that. So could you just explain to our audience what happened with Duke and Gorge? So last year, it's almost been 12 months a day, in fact, uh, in May, the large mining company we are into legally blew up the Duke and Gorge caves. And those were some incredibly rare and significant caves in Western Australia's Pilbara region that were legally blown up because of the legislation in that state. They had approval and this caused a huge amount of backlash and it was kind of um, prompted a bit of a reckoning, not only for Indigenous people and uh, but also the wider Australia, really. It prompted a parliamentary inquiry into the incident and um, the WA government also said that they would strengthen the laws and they've been, you know, tweaking the laws. So there were a lot of people that were hoping there would be more funding involved in heritage protection and cultural heritage protection because obviously that is a, a huge issue in Indigenous affairs and for many First Nations people. But disappointingly um, for many, the government only put forward half a million dollars over the next two years. So we spoke to the Treasurer on the night action and he said that uh, this was not the first or the last word that there would be for funding, but it was disappointing for, for many groups that there was only half a million devoted to those um, significant cultural heritage protection laws. Especially when we're sort of talking about like age care is in the billions and childcare is in the billions and like million when you're talking about the budget is kind of like a small word. Half like a to, million. Like is... a, we're talking 500,000. That's like... Yeah, it feels like a lawyer shouldn't be making more in a year than um, funding towards cultural heritage in Australia. Yeah, over two years. So I think a lot of people felt that it was, you know, a crumb of a crumb. So that, I think, for a lot of First Nations people was very disappointing. What would you give this federal government, this budget for First Nations people? You're going to give them a letter grade? How have they, how have they scored this year? Um, hmm. Maybe a... 
I mean, I think it's good that there's been some funding in women's safety and domestic violence and, and, and health and some education and remote housing. But for many, many years, there's just been not enough devoted to that. And that's really making an effect on the ground. So I feel like there could have been more money devoted to more of those tangible on the ground things. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, the aged care and the disability, which is obviously impacting on you know, Indigenous people as well. There's not really enough detail in the budget papers about exactly how that will be spent on First Nations people as well. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. So, Matilda, we've talked about some things that the government is, you know, quite proudly talking about, even though they probably could have funded way better. What are some things in the budget that the government has been keeping a little bit on the hush-hush side? Oh, yeah. So there's some stuff that was notably not mentioned. (laughs) One of those things was renewables. (laughs) The environment. Oh, look, okay. There was talk of the environment. It's just not the talk (laughs) that people people were hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So one of the big things that the Liberal government talks about is investing in technology, not targets. Yeah. So essentially they're like, um, we don't want to fucking piss off all our coal mining region voters. So what about or our coal mining company donors? <laughs> so basically, they say like we're going to invent new technology that's going to like fix climate change rather than like cutting fossil fuels. And a bunch of scientists are like, please, please <laughs> cut fossil fuels. So is there any money in the budget to invest in renewables? Maybe no. Fuck no. Oh. Um, <laughs> you think that that might be some good technology to invest in? So yes, the only climate funding in the whole budget is for these things called emission reduction technologies. Mm. And that's basically two things. So one of these things is called fossil fuel carbon capture projects, Uh. which – I don't know. They fucking talk about it for years and years and years. We've yet to see much results from it, but we're putting $263 million into it. It's about like tucking carbon away in rocks for later. Um, I Look, uh, it's promising technology, but like uh, no one one in the climate world is ridiculously excited about it. And the other other option? And the other big thing that they're spending the rest of the money on, like another 270 mil, is technologies to do with hydrogen. It's very complicated, but essentially what you need to know is... um, Experts are like, yeah, all this hydrogen technology and hydrogen power creation might be useful, but it's not really going to get us to zero net emissions by 2050. And none of this is if we just did this technologies route, it's pretty universally everyone's going to be like, you're not going to get to this goal. And Frydenberg also in the budget was pretty clear that he was like, we'll get to net zero emissions preferably by 2050, which is not a commitment. No. So not only do we not have any set targets for getting to net zero fossil fuel emissions, but we're investing a lot of money into technology to tide us over until renewables are better. Mm. Like, can I just explain this a little bit? Like, Please. So things like gas and uh, certain types of hydrogen power. There was plenty of – there was a bit of money in the in the budget for gas for context. Yes. So things like not really clean energy but not as bad as coal arguably – The reason that the government has justified investing in this kind of technology is because they say like, look, we don't have a way of restoring renewable energy. If we relied totally on renewables, you know, we wouldn't have reliable energy sources. Essentially, what if the wind stops blowing for a few (laughs) days or what if it's cloudy? Like, it it sounds dumb. That is what it is. Like, at the moment, renewables aren't enough to carry us through 100% of the time. Instead of investing in technology that will allow us to store renewable energy, We're just investing more money into these kind of like transition 
energy sources that aren't going to get us closer to net zero by 2050. Oh, and there's also no money for electric vehicles. Sorry, Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No big batteries, no electric vehicles. Tesla is the biggest loser from this budget. And the very last thing, universities. They didn't mention them because they're kind of fucking them over. No international students. Mid-2022, there's going to be small groups of international students coming back. What's that? What do unis rely on for funding? International students. Yes, so the budget is built around the prediction that the international board is not going to reopen for a year. And that also means that we're not really going to be having a lot of international students coming until next year. The university sector took a $1.8 billion hit last year due to the lack of international students. And it's expected that they're going to lose another $2 billion this year. And yet the budget didn't have anything to help universities compensate for that loss of income. Well, actually, in fact, the, this budget is sort of expected to decrease university funding by nearly 10% in the next three years and decrease TAFE funding by 24%. So it's a double whammy of badness for universities. And not to mention that like to Towards the end of last year, the government passed all these bills that made certain university courses more expensive for uni students that cut funding from other university courses. So it's been a really bad track run for universities and university students. And I don't know how the sector is really going to survive without more intervention. Yeah. That being said, I mean, we mentioned before there's sort of like training things for aged care sectors. There's some other short courses as well. Like there is some investment in higher education, but yeah, overall, I wouldn't, if I was a vice chancellor, I wouldn't be like sitting too pretty right now. So Matilda, wrapping up, Justine, before we go, uh, there's one phrase that's been kicking around a lot this week and I want you to tell me what it means. Okay. Everyone's been debating, is this an election budget? Is Could this be an election budget? Is the government leaving the door open for an election budget? What's an election budget, Justine? <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> so an election budget is what people on the inside typically call budgets just before a federal election is called and it means that the government in power is kind of like Oprah And they're like, you get a car, you get a car, you get some funding here in the hope that they're going to build enough goodwill amongst the general population of Australia that they're going to get voted back in the next time around. Yeah. When people think of an election budget, they're not... They take everything with a bit of a grain of salt, It's like the nicest budget you're going to get out of the three years that the government is in power. There's definitely a vested interest in the government making it seem like you're going to be getting more money if they stay in. They care about everybody. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of the question. Like, is this an election budget? Can we answer that question? There may be a federal election in the next 12 months. Well, there's definitely going to be a federal election called within the next 12-ish months. Um, There might be another budget that sneaks in just before the election that would technically become the election budget. But I think that the government's kind of leaving its options open. There were a lot of rumours that the government was going to call the election early this year because they had handled the pandemic really well and Australia was in a good position compared to overseas. What was that? Knock, 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 knock. It's women and the vaccine rollout knocking (laughs) on the doors. Yes. So they had a number of scandals in various areas that, you know, then made them lose popularity in Australia. Well, yeah, to a certain degree. ScoMo's still pretty popular. And that made people think that the election's actually going to be called in about, you know, May next year. So whether this is an election budget actually, eh, but is the government maybe leaving the door open? 
Yeah. Yeah. If we were going to dive into austerity like we were talking about before, uh, we would have known for sure that they weren't planning the election anytime soon because it's like you don't want to mess people over and be the mean parent right before you got to sort of head <laughs> You want to be a good parent. <laughs> so essentially we don't quite know if it's an election budget, but we know it's definitely not not one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that is definitely all we have time for on this episode. Oh, my good Lord. And guess what? We've covered like 10% of the budget. Uh, And as always, we have to say thanks to our wonderful supporters for shouting us out on Instagram this week. Every week, we ask you guys to please take a screenshot of your phone, put it up on your Instagram story, show people that you're listening to the show. It's the best way to get the word out there about Old Boys Club. If It's literally, please. (laughs) Thanks. And leave us a review, please. So thank you so much to Tegan, Shian, Molly D, Court, Tori, Emma, Kayla, Molly L, Catherine, Athanasia, Elizabeth, Raise Our Voice Australia, Shanna, Kiara, Alicia, Dr. Yumiko Kadota. Thank you so much, Yumiko. Jessica, Marin, Tanya, Lacey, Jade, Christie, Zoe, Ashley, Rhiannon, Teal, Ashley, Belle, and Ben. That's a lot of names. It gets longer every week. Oh, and my I love gosh. it. <laughs> Please keep doing Please it. Please keep doing it. Before we go, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land of the Burrawang people of the Eastern Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. This land was stolen and never ceded. We also want to acknowledge the country that you're joining us from and pay our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who are listening today. Our theme music is by the incredible Alexis Weaver. Our show is produced by Anthony Furchie and Alex Ty. Mixing and editing by Alex Ty. I'm Matilda Bosley. I'm Justine Landis-Hanley. And this is Old Boys Club. A podcast about money and also politics and also more money. <laughs> this week. <laughs> Do wish there was money in the budget for us. Justine and Matilda is, the, is one of the labels. Like, in the sense of spending, there's just other. <laughs> Justine and Matilda. <laughs> the podcast. That ass is fun. PH. <laughs> I work all night, I work all day. That's Frydenberg on the week leading up to budget. <laughs> to pay the bills I have to pay. It's Labour's bad. It's not. They've increased the debt too. And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. Once again, not true. There's really sizable pension schemes for ex-politicians. That's too bad. <laughs>